2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, I'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfil your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. When I used to work at the Ag College, uh, I used to do all of the practical training in, in the boom spray operation. So before the students came to me, they, they already had done their chemical handling training and, and so they'd already been taught about personal protective equipment and, and how to take the precautions they need to to make sure that they don't spill any chemical on themselves of, of any kind. But because when it comes to putting learned knowledge into practice, sometimes it's not quite as easy as what you might think. And so they'd sort of start pouring from a drum and, and it's, yeah, it gives a bit of a glug and it splashes back and splash a little bit of chemical on themselves and stuff. And now, with most of the chemicals we used, um, they actually weren't that dangerous. Most of them were pretty safe. But sometimes we'd use something like Paraquat which is an S7. Um, and so it actually has a label on it that calls it a dangerous poison. And there's a reason for that. And I would have to just drum it into my students, this is really important. Like this is really, really dangerous stuff that we're about to use. I cannot stress enough just how important it is that you do not spill any of this on you. Do not get it on your skin. If you do, wash it off straight away. Make sure you do not transfer any of this into your mouth. And most importantly, do not splash any on me. Sometimes you just have to tell someone how really, really important something is. And you've just got to drum it into them just how critical this is. Kids, do not play with snakes. Do not go anywhere near the chainsaw when it's running. Men, never, ever agree with your wife. Yes, you do look fat in that. Never do that. Never say something like, some things are just critical. Verse 1 is the equivalent of this for Paul. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom, Right, Timothy, what I'm about to tell you, this is really, really important. Do not mess this up. Do not turn a blind eye here. Make sure you do this, right? You're realising this is pretty critical. And he's charging Timothy, not just before God, but before Christ Jesus, who will judge every one of us. Yeah, you know, as Christians... 
um, and particularly being good, good, good uh, Protestants such as we are, we know all about the love of God. We know all about the blessed state of being saved, right? This is our focus, and, and it should be. But sometimes that might mean that we, we never give it a thought how it is Jesus who is coming as our judge. And some folk, I, I suspect, have a bit of misplaced confidence. Oh, I said the sinner's prayer and, and nothing else matters. But it does matter. If there's one thing that our Lord cannot abide, it's hypocrisy. It's when one claims to be godly, but they have no godliness about them. Now, Paul, however, who's writing this letter, he has every reason to be confident. Now, he knows he's about to die. Um, and, and the reason he's going to die is because of the ministry he's carried out in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's in prison because it, it's illegal, basically, what he's doing. But even so... That's not the basis of his confidence. Here's his confidence. He's fought the good fight. He's finished the race. He's kept the faith. And for that reason, he tells us there is laid up for him what he calls the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to him on the day that Jesus comes to be that judge, the judge of the living and the dead. And here's some good news for you. It's not only Paul who's going to get a crown of righteousness. You don't have to be an apostle. You don't have to have written half the New Testament. You don't even have to have your name in the Bible to receive a crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness, this reward, is for all who have loved his appearing. That's a bit of a strange phrase. All who've loved his appearing. And with the coming judgment of all humanity in view, do we love the appearing of Jesus? This is the point you go, yeah, yeah, we do. We do. Um, as disciples of Jesus, we, we love it that Jesus came. We rejoice that Jesus died for our sins. We're overjoyed that he rose again from the dead. We love it that Jesus came the first time. We love it that he's coming again. And as disciples of Jesus, what's it mean to be a disciple? It means we follow Jesus and we delight in his teaching and we follow him. Following Jesus is the source of our purpose. It's the source of our enjoyment and our satisfaction in life. See, being a Christian, the enjoyment of being a Christian and the very enjoyment of, of life itself isn't because we know we, where we're going to end up. Although that adds a little bit of joy. The, the satisfaction in life is because we know for whom we live. Because we know that we're living for Jesus, there is our purpose in life. There is our enjoyment in life. There is our satisfaction in life. We're living for our Lord. And living the Christian life because we love Jesus is to fight the good fight. Finish the race, keep the faith. But here's the thing. Not everyone who says they love Jesus really love him at all. I cannot at the same time love Jesus and not love his teaching. I'll say that again. 
I cannot at the same time love Jesus and not love his teaching. I cannot at the same time love Jesus and not love his word. If I don't love what Jesus taught, I cannot love him. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, some of you might remember that conversation. It's in John chapter 3. It's where Jesus says to Nicodemus, you know, you have to be born again. He goes, huh? I'm not going back in there. It's right. And, and you remember that, that conversation. And that conversation continues. And I don't know if you realise this or not, but probably the best known verse of the Bible is part of that conversation. We're in John chapter 3. It's when we get to verse 16. Say it with me if you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Right Now most of us know that verse. Some people might even know the next few verses. Verses 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. But not many people know the next three verses that follow that. Still in this conversation with Nicodemus and still Jesus saying these words and he says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Right, so, so some may say that they love God, but they don't love his word and they don't abide by his word. Why? Because they love darkness too much. And, and throughout this letter, and particularly now in this last chapter, this is what Paul has been addressing. Paul has been building his case through this letter. It's quite a short letter. There's only four chapters here. But he's been building his case. He's already talked about those who wrongly handle the word of truth. In other words, they twist the scriptures so that they, I know they sound like that, but we'll just change the meaning a little bit and, and just make it sound more appealing to what I want it to say. They wrongly handle the word of truth. And he's already talked about how all scripture is breathed out by God. It is God's very breath. It is God's very word, what we read in the scriptures. And back in chapter three, he's talked about how in the last days, when's the last days? We're living in that day now. In the last days, people are gonna love the wrong thing. Wrong love, having a love of self, having a love of money and a love of pleasure will cause people to chase after godlessness. And as he's talking about this, he's talking about this happening within the church community. And now he says in verse 3, 
For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I reckon that day is well and truly here. What do you think about doctrine? Sounds like a very officious sort of a word, doesn't it? Doctrine. Some folk hate the thought of doctrine. They feel doctrine. Oh, that's what separates all the churches. But doctrine is simply another word for teaching. It's the body of belief. It's what we as Christians believe. It's, what be, it's what's been passed down to us from Jesus and the apostles. And there's only two types of doctrine. There's only two types of teaching as far as God's concerned. And it has nothing to do with the style of teaching. And it's got everything to do with the content of what is being taught. And the two types of doctrine or the two types of teaching is healthy teaching and unhealthy teaching. Sound teaching and unsound teaching. And the reason that, that Paul is so determined that Timothy deals with this is because within the church itself, he tells Timothy that there's coming a time when people aren't going to put up with sound teaching. And that day is today. And, and Paul is literally saying here that there will be some who claim to be Christians when they'd sit in church on a Sunday, they, they cannot put up with sound biblical teaching. Or at least they can't do it for very long. I think that the best way to translation I really give to that word is they find it intolerable. And because they find sound biblical teaching intolerable, what do they do? They haven't loved the light. They love darkness. And so they seek out other teaching. They seek out teaching that will affirm what their own sinful cravings desire. And there is plenty of that sort of teaching on offer. Now, to me, that's a bit like having a car with the temperature gauge up on the red and going over well into the red. And instead of pulling up at the garage and cleaning your radiator out, Instead, you go to super cheap and, and you ask to buy a gauge that, um, that will have that temperature up in the green. It's just craziness. It, it, it then tells me that everything's okay, but everything isn't okay. What things do we crave that are contrary to God's word? Back in chapter 3, he talked about this having, having this wrong love, having a love of self, love of money, and a love of pleasure. And, and when we love the wrong thing, that's when we're going to find sound teaching intolerable. So, for example, let's talk about having a love of self. Now, we live in a world that promotes self. Self-assurance, self-esteem, self-reliance, self-confidence, self-love, self-care, self-determination, right? It's you need to love yourself a bit more. Now, Paul's confidence wasn't in himself. Paul's confidence is in Christ. He's fought the good fight. He's finished the race. He's kept the 
faith. And that's all about Christ and sticking to Christ. The faith is sound teaching. God's word. That's what he's stuck to. Now, sound gospel doctrine is actually quite offensive to self. Because sound gospel doctrine teaches me that I have to die to self. You remember the, the discussion with, with Nicodemus, you must be born again. The old man has to die, the new man has to come alive. The gospel teaches us that, that the only way to salvation is to repent of sin, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and to surrender our whole selves to him. Our old self is corrupted and it needs to die and he'll build us into a new person. And in his mercy and by his grace, he forgives us. So it's about putting to death the old man along with all of our old sinful ways and raising up the new to a new life filled with holiness and righteousness, in the, living it in the Lord and living it for the Lord. And sound biblical teaching is going to talk a lot about this. We, as we work our way through the scriptures, it just keeps coming up over and over and over again. I hope I'm not the only person that the scriptures challenge. They challenge me every day as I read them. And as disciples of Jesus, we are going to be challenged. Basically, the message is, I was a dirty, rotten scoundrel. I didn't deserve to be saved. But by his mercy, he took me, someone who's totally undeserving, and he saved me. Now, the problem is, many folk don't want to hear that. They have a love of self. They don't want to hear that self is a rotten, dirty, rotten scoundrel. And so they find the gospel offensive. A friend of mine who himself is a pastor told me once that he had someone in his congregation that, and, and they confronted him, you, you talk too much about sin. We, we don't need to hear about sin. He said, well, that's what the scriptures were talking about today. Yeah, but we don't need to hear that. And he would be confronted often by this person. But he just kept teaching sound biblical doctrine. And that person, they tried to stick it out for a while, but in the end, they found they couldn't. Um, they found it intolerable to hear this. And so they only put it up for so long and then left and joined another church, presumably where they would get to hear that they, they wouldn't have to hear about our sinfulness that we need to repent of. Instead, um, they would be affirmed in what they wanted to hear. And there is plenty of unhealthy doctrine that will cater for that. In some of the biggest and fastest growing churches, they will never ever talk about sin that we need to repent of. The age-old gospel gets put, put aside because nobody wants to hear that stuff. And they preach a different gospel. And you might recognise it. You're wonderful. Yeah, God can't bear to be without you. Or they might say, come and be set free. Come and be set free from your past hurt. Come and be set free from your brokenness. Be set free from what those other people have done to you. Be set free from your addictions. You see, this 
changed message is something that appeals very much to a person's pride. Because it's no longer my fault. That's what other people have done to me. And that's what I'm being saved from. But the sound, healthy gospel presents it quite bluntly. My sin was all entirely my fault. It's nobody else's fault. I can't blame it on my circumstances. I can't blame it on my parents. I can't blame it on society. I can't blame it on my genetic makeup. The fact of the matter is, I was evil. And I needed to repent of this evil so that the Lord can make me good. And that is the miracle of God. And some of you might be sitting here today thinking, I don't know if that's the gospel that I've responded to. And if that's not the gospel you've responded to, maybe you need to respond to this gospel, that I was evil and I need to repent of that evil, that put to death the old man and become the new man that Christ is going to make me into. What about the love of money and wealth and possessions? The scriptures teach a lot about this. They teach us not to crave such things. The problem is the flesh does crave those sorts of things. The scriptures teach us to give generously and to store up treasures in heaven. They teach us don't accumulate more and more assets and possessions on earth. Use it for the building of God's kingdom. But that's, that's not what the flesh wants to hear. That doesn't appeal to a person's wrong love, having a love of money or possessions. And some, because of their love of money, love of possessions, love of wealth, will not tolerate sound teaching. And so the word of God, when it is rightly taught, it makes them squirm in their seat because the word of God says things like, this is Jesus speaking, woe to you who are rich. You've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now. You'll be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now. You shall mourn and weep. Oh, how do you deal with that when your love is money? How do you deal with that when your love is possessions and things? How does one ease their conscience? Well, lucky for them, there's oodles of teachers who are going to tickle their ears. They'll tell them just what they want to hear. God wants to bless you. God wants to make you rich. He's going to make you prosper. He's going to make you into a person of influence. And so now the prosperity gospel is being taught far and wide. We hear it over and over again. We hear it on the television. We hear it on Christian radio. We hear it in, in various churches about the place. Why is this message so appealing? It's because it appeals to a person's wrong love, having a love of money. Love of wealth, love of possessions. What about a love of pleasure? Even within, within this letter that, that Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be 
persecuted. We're told that we will share in suffering for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. Jesus himself told his disciples, you will be persecuted for my sake. But when, when one has a love of pleasure, suffering doesn't really fit that theology, does it? And so they tune out from listening to sound teaching. And they, they look for teaching that, that, that's going to pander to their love of pleasure. And when they find it, they tune into it. You will be safe. You'll be secure. You will be healed. You won't be harmed. Yeah, no, it's not going to be that hard. And of course, one, a, a very pleasurable teaching that often gets put out there is, yeah, God only wants you to serve him in areas that you're passionate about. If you enjoy doing something, that's what God's calling you to do. He'll never call you to do something you don't enjoy. It all panders to our love of pleasure. And when you've got it bad, one teacher is never enough. I don't know if you've noticed this. Um, when a person can't put up with sound biblical teaching, when they can't tolerate the pressure of what God's word is telling them, it'll only take one teacher to make them cringe. But then they replace that one teacher with a heap of others. Um, I think it's to give themselves a sense of justification. Yeah, look, that one person was saying that and... But look, here's all of these other people. They say all this other stuff. And it says that they accumulate for themselves. Literally means they heap up heaps of teachers who will tickle their ears and tell them what suits their cravings. God wants to bless you. God wants to make you rich. God's going to make you a leader. God's going to make you a person of influence. You are so amazing. He's going to make you even more amazing. And life is going to be so wonderful for you. And today, like never before, thanks to the internet and international celebrity preachers, it is so easy to accumulate, uh, to heap up teaching that you want to hear, no matter what it is. And teacher after teacher after teacher keep regurgitating the same unsound dribble. And so people will turn away turn their ear away from listening to the truth and they'll wander off into what Paul calls myths. It simply means stuff that's not true. It's not historical. It's not reality. It's just what they want to believe. Righto, so, so how critical is this? Um, you might say to me, oh, Michael, look, yeah, we're just talking about people believing a few different things. It's all okay. Is that the sort of introduction that Paul really gave to this? It doesn't really matter that much. It's actually pretty devastating. Paul has bracketed this. So at the beginning of these verses and the end of these verses, he's reminded us that Jesus is coming again as our judge. And the consequence of not, not putting up with, with truth is wandering off into what is not true. And in some cases, that can lead to a faith that is so corrupted, it is no longer the faith. Having a faith 
is never going to save anyone. You know, when you're talking about somebody, you know, not really connected with the church or something, and you're wondering, yeah, you say, oh, I think they've got a faith of some sort. Well, they might have a faith of some sort. That just means they believe something. A faith is not going to save us. It is the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that saves us. Having a corrupt faith that rejects Christ or that rejects his word and embraces lies and causes us to embrace ungodliness and to live in unrighteousness, that that sort of faith isn't going to save anyone. If you wander off, you do not finish the race. The triathlon's happening, happening today in town. If somebody wanders off on that and goes off in a different path and ends up at Deer and Bandy, they're not going to finish the race and they're not going to win a prize. Remember where Paul's confidence is. He says, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. When one heaps up unsound teachers to satisfy their cravings, they've given up the fight. They've wandered off. They're not going to finish the race. They couldn't tolerate listening to what Jesus would say to us. And so they've rejected the faith. They haven't kept it. And that is why Paul is drumming it into Timothy, just like I used to have to drum it into those spraying students of mine. Do not be careless with this stuff because it could kill you. So what's Timothy's role? What should Timothy do? Well, if you've been following along in your Bible, you've probably noticed I've skipped over verse 2. And that's where we're coming back to now. Paul's word to Timothy as the pastor of that church is, Timothy, this is really, really important. And the reason it's important is because people won't put up with sound doctrine and because the time is coming when some will accumulate for themselves a big heap of teachers who will overwhelmingly tell them exactly what their itching fleshly ears want to hear. And so, Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preach the word. My job as your pastor today is is not to tell you just what your itching ears want to hear. I know how to make myself popular. I'll just tell you what I think you want to hear. That's not my job. My job as a teacher of God's word is to do exactly that. Preach the word. He says, be ready in season and out of season. Sometimes sharing God's word and the need to share God's word will come at the most inconvenient moment. Have you noticed that? You might be on doing something and, and really important jobs to do, really important business stuff or family stuff or whatever, and then somebody turns up and you just know, hey, I actually need to share a bit of God with these people. Sometimes it comes at the most inconvenient moment. Might be in the middle of the footy grand final. We'll turn the telly off and talk to them. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke and exhort. Not many people want their pastors to do that sort of thing. And let me tell you, pastors don't want to do it either. What it means is that when a person has departed from sound doctrine, the preacher is probably going to say things that hurt their feelings. Some might be so offended that they leave. Um, but it's the preacher's job to say to that person, you've departed from the faith. It's a long, wrong love that's caused you to do this. Your love of self, your love of money, your love of pleasure, whatever it is, it has led you to believe in lies. And the reason you've so readily believed in them is because you've wanted to. You've rejected what God has said on the matter. So to reprove and rebuke means to say to them, it's wrong. It means to say, it's not okay. And it's to let them know that their current beliefs are ungodly. And to exhort means to urge them on. To those who remember um, back in the day, remember photo, shots of Laurie Lawrence urging the swimmers on in the pool? He just, just right in. That's exhortation, right? Urging them on. So to exhort is to urge each other on to reject sound doctrine and to return to good, solid truth of what God's word says. And that's what a pastor needs to do. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke and exhort. And we have to keep on doing it. That's what he means when he says, do it with complete patience and teaching, that the word patience literally means long suffering. It means you have to just keep on doing it. It's not an easy thing for a pastor to do, to reprove and rebuke. We hate doing it. But the job of a pastor, it's not to tell them what the pastor thinks. It's to teach the word. Now, not many people are going to put up with a pastor who chips them when they're wrong. Not when they can find a hundred others who will affirm them in what they want to believe. But we only appeal to God's word. You don't have to agree with me. You have to agree with God's word. That's, that's all it boils down to. Because that's the only source of truth. Michael isn't your source of truth, by the way. God's word is. And Paul is telling Timothy, this is so important, it must be done. Verse 5, as for you, always be sober-minded. That means well-balanced, self-controlled, think about what you do, keep your wits about you, endure suffering. It was a tough job for Timothy being a pastor and, and trying to teach the truth in, in a church where some people didn't want to hear the truth. That meant he was going to suffer. And for me, I think back over my years as a pastor in churches and the biggest sufferings that I've had to endure in the church is when I've had to reprove and rebuke and exhort because people have wandered away from God's word. And there have been tough times 
But Paul says, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Some in the church may wander off into myths. They may even through that become completely lost. But for the sake of those who are yet to hear the gospel, the gospel must continue to be the gospel. We cannot change the gospel to, sit, to, to suit each of us. The gospel must be pure. It must be holy. It must be God's word as he presents it. And for the sake of those who are yet to hear the gospel, we cannot change it. Because this is the source of life. So my word to you today is it matters. What we believe matters. And only when we realise that we're talking about God's word in all of its beauty, in all of its challenges, in all of its giving of life and in, in all of the things that really make us groan, really, do I have to? God's word is what he has in view when he says, fight the good fight. It means hold on to that. Don't let anything tear you away from it. When he says, finish the race, keep on believing in Jesus, keep on believing the gospel that the apostles taught, not that stuff that's been changed by people who don't love the truth, and keep the faith. And that, is how we achieve our crown of righteousness that we await on the day that Jesus returns. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we repent of wrong love, having a love of self, a love of money, a love of pleasure. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for, for when we have let that long, wrong love twist our reading of Scripture or when it's caused us to listen to, to teaching that would, would justify our own worldly desires, even though it's contrary to what your word says. And Lord, give us a passion for you and a passion for your word that we may embrace sound teaching and reject corrupt teaching. And give us the wisdom to know the difference. And Lord, give us the stamina and the love for you that we would fight the good fight, that we would finish the race, that we would keep the faith. In Jesus' name, amen.